You are listening to the sermon podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ-centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org. We all hear messages. We get text messages. We get Snapchat messages. We get voice messages. We get email messages. We see messages on billboards. We see messages on uh, books that we read or TV shows that we watch or movies that we go to. Messages often can encourage and motivate us, but messages also can be very devastating. We know that messages can change us, and we also know that messages can paralyze us. There was one message when I was actively running, training for half marathons. I would run around Centennial Park and part of the outer rim of Centennial Park, there was a steep hill. And on the steep hill was a sign, yes, you can. So as I was running up that hill and as I was halfway up that hill and seeing that sign, yes, you can, motivated me to keep on running to achieve the top of that hill and to keep on going around the lake. This morning, we're going to hear a message that not only, not only motivates us and encourages us, but it does change us. It does give us freedom. This message that the angels announced to the shepherds is a message of hope. It's a message of freedom. It's a message of radical grace. And as we've been looking through the incarnation through the eyes of different people of the Christmas story, we've looked at the incarnation through the eyes of Joseph, the biological, the, the biological, sorry, the, the father who adopted Jesus to be his own son, to Mary, uh, who, was, who was the mother of Jesus. And now we're going to look at the shepherds. See the incarnation through the eyes of the shepherds. So follow along as I read chapter 2 of Luke, verses 8 through 20. And let's hear this radical message that the angels give to the shepherds. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this is born this day in the city of David, who is a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, cloth, and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth among those whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which, was the, Lord, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went out with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what was this, what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in, their heart, in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God, for they had heard and seen and has been, as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for this message that's not only for the shepherds, but for us to hear as well. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you do your work of encouraging, your, your work of, of changing and redeeming and, and molding us more and more in the image of Christ because of this message 
of many years ago. It's a message that still rings true for us today to ponder and to treasure. So do your work of grace, I pray. Amen. In her book, Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl, Harriet Jacob writes these words about her years of slavery. Listen to the message that she heard. Only by experience can anyone realize how deep, dark, and foul is that pit of abominations. Harriet was born in 1813 in North Carolina. For the first six years of her life, she lived a comfortable lifestyle in her home with her parents and brother, not realizing that she was a slave. But when her mother died, everything changed for her. That's when she learned that she was no longer free. At age 15, her new master, Dr. James Norcom, pursued and harassed Harriet, while Norcom's wife oppressed her. Seeking to protect herself, Harriet turned to a white, unmarried lawyer and bore him two children. Norcom, who was very mad about that, retaliated by sending Harriet to a plantation to work as a field hand. Not wanting her children to be become plantation slaves, she ran away before they could join her there. With the help of sympathetic friends, both black and white, she made her way to her grandmother's home. For the next seven years, Harriet lived in a tiny cubby hole under the front porch roof. The confined space was nine feet by seven feet with a sloping ceiling at the highest at three feet. She shared her hiding place with rats and mice. However, often she read her Bible in that cubbyhole and found encouragement and a motivation to press on. During this time, Harriet wrote to Norcom and asked to sell her children to her. He refused. However, the children's father finally did buy the boy and girl, allowing them to stay at her grandmother's house. Even hiding from her children, Harriet would squint through the cubby, the peak hole, hoping to catch a glimpse of them playing outside. In 1842, Harriet escaped to the north, and two years later, her children joined her. Still, she was in the danger of being sold back to slavery, returned to slavery by Dr. Norcom. Complete liberation did not come until Harriet was 40 years old when her employer bought her freedom for $300. Harriet Tub Jacobs heard the message loud and clear in her life that she was unjustly treated was okay, that slavery was okay, that being beaten was okay, that her life belonged to others was okay. She experienced the pain of a family torn apart, the indignity of being sold as property, and the uncertainty of living at the whims of someone else. But listen to how she concludes her book. She shares these redeeming, powerful words. Hear this message. She says, Reader, my story ends with freedom. Reader, my story ends with freedom. So does a story for every Christian, for everyone who has put their trust in Christ. As we look at this message this morning, this announcement of the angels to the shepherds, we too are reminded that our story ends with freedom. So let's look at this announcement of good news to the shepherds. I want us first to understand 
And what I mean by that, understand who the shepherds are and how they were viewed in society. I want us to consider, and what I mean there, we must consider the radical nature of the announcements to the shepherds. Then lastly, I want us to imitate. And what I want us to look at here is looking at how we must imitate the response of the shepherds to the radical nature of the announcement. Let's look at verse 8 again, and we need to understand who are these shepherds? Who are these shepherds that are attending and keeping watch of the flock how are they viewed in society? Well, believe it or not, they were, they were very, most shepherds were very poor and oppressed. Next to lepers, they were the high, biggest nobodies in Israel. They were despised class and considered untrustworthy. In fact, shepherds were denied basic civil rights. They, they were not permitted to testify in court because it was assumed that all shepherds were dishonest. They were not allowed to access to the temple because they were considered unholy and dirty because of the jobs that they did with animals. And even as you think about that, if they were viewed in that way by society, I wonder if many of them as shepherds viewed themselves that God viewed them that way as well, that God rejected them. And so for the shepherds, much like Mary and Joseph, to be singled out in, in such a way that the angel would appear to them as, as Gabriel appeared to, to Joseph and to Mary. And now we have another angel that is appearing to the shepherds and the glory of the Lord showed upon them. He, they must have been wowed by that reality that, that, that some, something like the angel would come to them and to show them that kind of grace. And so as that happens, as we understand these shepherds and who they were, we see now, we learn from them as they consider this radical message of good news. Let me read again verses 9 through 14. It says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. We're going to look at the, the presence of the angel a little bit in a few minutes and the glory of the Lord and how that terrified them. But I want us to look at this message again that that the angels are announcing to the shepherds. It's talking about a, a child has been born, right? This, this message that has been prophesied throughout the ages and that has been shown to Mary and to Joseph that a baby is going to be born and that baby is going to be a savior, that baby is going to be the exalted Lord, that baby is going to be the eternal king, that baby that has been prophesied, who has been told to Joseph and Mary, has now come to fruition. Fulfillment has actually been made on this day and has been announced, first of all, to the shepherds about this good news of great joy that a Savior, the Savior, the Savior of the world, the Savior has come to redeem his people, to rule over us graciously and, and carefully, is now born. And so as they heard that message, they went, they, we, and, they said, and as the angel said, here's, here's a sign for you. It's a fulfillment of what we have been prophesying, that God has been prophesying for long ago, that he's going to be from the city of David. And that he's going to be a baby wrapped in a manger, with, with the, the, wrapped in cloths. And he's going to bring this understanding of Savior. He's going to bring something else very radical for us. And that he's about bringing us peace. Look at verses 13 and 14. I want to focus on what this meaning of peace and being found favor or founding rest. This making peace 
that the angels are announcing, it's, it's something really amazing for us. Because often people understand peace as general peacefulness with prosperity or a trouble-free life. Like, I have peace. Everything's going well. But that is not what, this, what the angels are saying here about this peace. Peace here means that, that, that there's an end of enmity. There's an end of warfare. There's an end of, of the battle, in a sense, of, of, the, of the war between God and man. See, they're saying that Jesus, this baby born on this day, is going to bring peace, meaning a right relationship with God and with one another. See, it reminds us all, not only of the shepherds, that our natural hearts want to be God, right? That's why we're at war with God, because we want to be in control. We want to we make life work on our terms. And so we need to understand that, that that kind of thinking is hostile to God's claims of lordship over us. As, as the angels have announced both to Mary, to Joseph, and now to the shepherds, that he is Christ the Lord. That means he is sovereign over us. He is the Lord over us. And he's the one who's to, going to, or to submit to. See, until we see our, our hostility to God's authority, we can't understand one of the significant, deep maysprings of all human behavior. If we're honest, we are all committed to the only way to be happy is to be wholly in charge of our lives. This self-centeredness leads to conflict not only with God, and with one another, right? If I want my way in my marriage, it's going to cause conflict. If I want my way with my kids, it's going to cause conflict. If I want my way in a workforce, it's going to cause conflict if I'm selfishly wanting to, to do that, right? And so angels are reminding us that no peace with God means that there's no peace with one another. And so this radical nature of this announcement of Christmas is that God and sinners, through this child, are reconciled. In fact, Keller says this in Hidden Message. Jesus is the perfect mediator between estranged parties. By Jesus assuming a human nature, the God-man bridges the chasm, dies for our sins, heals the breach, and makes peace. You see, his saving works brings us from enemies to friends, from hostiles to allies, from being separated to being reconciled. And not only does he make peace for us, his favor is resting upon us. And again, it's reminding us because of Christ and his work, of his saving, of bringing this peace, we are now in a right eternal relationship with him through Christ. You see, this radical message is both for the religious and the real irreligious. I love what Tim Keller says in his book, Hidden Christmas. He says this. Remember that there is more than one way to express your hostility to God's rule. The irreligious person explicitly asserts his or her independence from God saying this. I want to live my life the way I want to live. But the religious person much more covertly asserts his or her independence from God. The religious person says this. I'm going to obey God, I'm going to obey the Bible, I'm going to do all these things, and now God has to bless me and has to give me a good life. This is an effort to control God, not trust him. When you obey God in order to earn God's blessing in heaven, then you are, in a, then you are as it were, seeking to be your own savior. 
Both of these strategies, I'm going to live life my own way or I'm going to live life according to God and he's going to bless me, right? Both of these strategies are hostile to God. They don't allow him to either be your sovereign or your savior. Then Tim Keller goes on, the first step toward making peace with God is to recognize that there has been a conflict. And one way to do that is to say, not only have I done bad things, but even the good things I have done have been done to be my own savior, to assert my independence from my creator and redeemer. So I need to be saved by sheer grace because even the right things I do have been done for the wrong reasons. And I need to rest wholly on Jesus' saving work on my behalf. When you say that, you have finally admitted the full extent of your resistance to the Lord's sovereignty. You have confessed that you can't save yourself. You, are, you rest in what the Lord Jesus has done, and you turn away from your old way of living. That is making peace with God. The shepherds considered the radical announcement of good news, this radical message that they have peace with God through this child who has been born to be Savior, an eternal king, sovereign over all of our lives. And as they considered that message, we see their response in verses 15 through 20. But before we see that, and before they see the news, we see in verse 9 that they were filled with great fear. What were they afraid of? Now, think about it. They're minding their own business, doing their job, tending the sheep. I won't kick the sheep, right? Tending the sheep. All of a sudden, an angel appears. But not only an angel, the glory of God has shone upon them. I don't know about you, but I would be freaking out. <laughs> really, right? I would be scared. What in the world has gone on? Who is this coming to me? Right? We assume that anyone who would see something that extraordinary would be afraid. In fact, the Bible always experienced, in the Bible, people always experienced traumatic anxiety and fear when they came near to God or even when the angels who came from his presence. Think of Isaiah, when he saw, when the presence of God, he fell, he was undone. Or Moses at the burning bush, he was like beside himself. Right? See, at creation, humanity was designed for a perfect relationship with God. And if we still had that perfect relationship with God, then there would be no fear at all. We would not be afraid of him or anything else. Listen to how, again, Tim Keller expands that. He says, that, that was the original plan for the human race. Do you see why there would be no fear? We fear rejection and failure. But if you were completely filled with God's love, you would not care what other people thought. We fear the future and circumstances. But if you knew God perfectly and that he's good and in control, you would trust him. You wouldn't be afraid of death because you would know you would be with him forever. But when human beings choose to throw off God's rule in their lives, it broke the relationship with God. And they were filled with fear and became subject to terror. The lie of the servant went into the hearts, our hearts. He said, you need to be in charge of your life. Don't let anybody else be in charge, including God, because you won't be happy. 
you will miss out on what is best for you. That distortion, Keller goes on, has been passed down into every human heart and has created a fear of trusting God. But it is indeed a lie because try as we might, we can't possibly get control of our lives in this world. If in order to be at peace with, we need to be in control, beholden to no one, then we will constantly be afraid because we learn as life goes on that we are not at the mer- that we are at the mercy of people and forces we cannot either predict nor manage so the shepherds experienced terror before the angels but it wasn't simply the fear of, uncan- of the uncanny as with many other such appearances in the bible it was because human beings are radically threatened by the presence of the holy when god's glory appears it's always intensifies our fundamental fearfulness because we are alienated from God. The angels, however, this is the good news, right, has an, has an astonishing message for the shepherds. You won't have to be afraid anymore if you look at what I'm showing you. The fear that inhibits the deep place of our souls can be dispelled for good. How? The angel says, fear not and look at the Christ child. Our fear is dealt with because of Christ and what he has come to do to save us and to give us peace. And so as they heard that, as they knew that they could not, they can face God through this message, they went then, they went hastily, they investigated. What does it say? The angels, when, when they went away from the heavens, the shepherds said to one another, let us go. There was no debate, just let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. And so they did, they investigated They received the words of grace to be not afraid, and they went to verify what they were told by the angels. And they saw this baby, just as predicted by the angels, in a manger with swaddling cloth. But not only did they investigate, we see in verse 7, they believed. When they saw it, when they saw the baby, when they saw what the angels said was true, they believed. But then not only did they investigate and believe, they told others. In verses 17 and 18, when they saw it, they made known the saying that has been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered what was, what was the shepherds, what, what, at what the shepherds told them. They, once they believed, they immediately began to tell others about Jesus. They were not fearful about what other people thought of them anymore. In fact, they were the first Christian evangelist of the Christian era. Think about it how they were viewed in society, poor, oppressed, considered almost no better than lepers, didn't have much say in in the life of of society. And yet they were confident to share the good news. They did not consider what others thought of them when they shared it. They boldly and confidently shared this good news that their Savior has been born, and it's Jesus. Jesus. See, their new relationship with God changed them. And part of that change meant they found their identity not in what others thought of them, but in God and God alone who saved them and gave them a right relationship with them through Christ. Now, we're not certain if these people who heard the good news believed. All it says is that they wondered about it. So the question for us, as we hear the good news, do you believe or are we just wondering about it? This passage gives us some guidance about how to spiritually hear 
well. In fact, Keller states this, it shows us something to be aware of and something to do. And so he can contrast and compares the response of the, of the people who heard the news from the shepherds to Mary's. See, the, the people who the shepherds told wondered, but Mary pondered and treasured. What is the difference? We need to be, be aware of those who wondered. Because can they believe a message from people like the shepherds? So here, here are the shepherds, right? Social outcasts. They're sharing the good news. And they're probably wondering, who, is this? who are these messengers? Can we, can we trust what they're saying? Is there validity in what they're saying? Right? Too often we look at the messengers, hey, they're uneducated, they're not eloquent speakers, they're ill-prepared, they're not worth listening to. How about us? Are we too often looking at the messenger instead of the message? Oh, the, the messenger was too boring. He's not from my tribe. He doesn't speak with eloquence. So I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to care about the message. So Keller points out, we need to be aware if we're just concerned about the messenger and not the message, because a message could be eternal and life-changing, like this message to the shepherds. And so he contrasts that to Mary's response. We see that Mary could care less about who was the messengers. She pondered and treasured the truth of what she saw and heard. The shepherds came and they believed, and that ministered to her heart. And so she pondered it, she thought about it, she put it in context, she, she considered its meaning, and as she did that, then she treasured it. She, it, it brings to mind the emotions in the heart, right? So Mary savored it, she, she kept it alive. Mary not, only, Mary not only wanted to understand it, the message, but she takes it to heart. She wants to experience. Now this is not a technique, but it's an attitude. It means preaching the good news to ourselves. It means to remind ourselves of the value of it. It's to remind us, remind us of the power to, of the truth to change us. And so all of us, I think, as we look at these two, two responses, one who just wandered about it, to Mary who pondered and treasured it, what are we doing with it? What are we doing with this announcement of the, of the good news that has come to us as well as not only to the shepherds, people who do not deserve it at all, and yet God graciously announces it to the shepherds and, and in a sense announces it to us. Does this message have any value to us? Does it change us so that help us to look and act differently? How, how, how does it change my thinking? How does it change my feelings? How does it change my actions? How does it change my relationships that I have in my life? That is the power, the redeeming power and change that this message brings all of us. The offer is it to all of us. Yes, the shepherds, were afraid, but then the grace abounded to them and they were able to investigate and to believe and to share. And then lastly, see in verse 20, they praised God. They were filled with joy. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen that has been told them. They praised God for the salvation that they have received in the incarnation of the Savior and the Lord and the eternal King. These shepherds, they feared, yes, and then they investigated they believed, they told, and praised. See, the message of the incarnation enabled the shepherds to worship God. We cannot simply assume that the shepherds were not devout men. We're not sure, definitely. But like the, like the other religious of their day, they might have been even waiting for the Messiah to come. What we do see clearly in Scripture 
that the shepherds were aware of their need. They recognized the good needs so readily and quickly because they were desperate for deliverance. Am I deference? Am I Am I desperate for deliverance? Are you desperate for deliverance? As we hear the good news that has been announced to the shepherds, are we pondering and treasuring them in our hearts? Is it making it a difference in our lives and how we live and how we share? Are we worried about what other people think about us so that prevents us from being bold and confident and caring for others and sharing the word of Christ? Are you pondering? Are you treasuring? Like one has said this, saving grace makes a man and a woman as willing to leave his lust as a slave, as willing to leave his galley or a prisoner, her dungeon or a thief, his bolts or a beggar, her rags. That is the good news that has been announced to us. Rise up, Nielsville, and follow. Rise up, visitor, and follow. Rise up, skeptic, and follow. Rise up, Germantown, and follow. Let's pray. Father, again, we hear these words every season about Jesus being born in the flesh to dwell among us, to save us from our sins, and to give us peace where his favor is rest. And sometimes they fall on deaf ears. I'm guilty of that. Holy Spirit, aliven us to this good news, much as Mary was alivened by the shepherd's visit and she pondered and treasured what, what she heard from the shepherds, may we too ponder and treasure. And not only that, may, may it make a difference in then how we live before you and before others for your glory and for your benefit and for the benefit of others, that they too may know this peace, this peace that says we are reconciled. We are no longer enemies but friends. We're no longer separated, but at peace and reconciled to you. That the intimacy has been dealt with, this warfare has been dealt with through the birth and death, the life and death and resurrection of Christ. Do that work of grace, I pray. Amen. Let us stand and sing boldly this Christmas blessing.